West End Abbey is a contemplative vineyard church in the West End of Winnipeg in Manitoba, Canada. This is a homily from one of our services. Well, thank you so much. I'm, I'm humbled to be um, the first guest uh, teacher in this community. Um, truly, truly honored. So um, I'm going to just dive right in. I'm very excited about this passage. It's been having its way with me a little bit this week. Um, so I'm delighted to just to share it with you. Um, and I want to start by asking a question. And so maybe you'd be willing to raise a hand or a virtual hand uh, if you've ever played the game telephone or if you remember playing this game as a young child. Okay, so if you're not familiar with this game, uh, this is sort of that, you know, I remember being in, in a classroom as a young child and uh, somebody would be selected to hear something from the teacher and then would, you know, whisper it into the next person's ear and so on and so forth. And so then it was always this comical moment where the last student would say out loud the, what the message was. And of course it had gotten sort of, <laughs> you know, it gotten kind of janky over time, right? And so the message was never quite correct. And, you know, I wanna say that you know, as we look at this passage, I don't know about any of you, but I think there's a sense in which, not that the words have been misplaced or corrupted, but I think sometimes the tone of this or the context with which we received these words um, has potentially caused some shifts in our understanding. Um, this is, of course, a red letter passage, and I say that only because I have a good friend of mine who is a young Christian, uh, and he, he tells me that still in his sort of, you know, coming to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus, you know, the Bible is still very overwhelming to him, and so he just opens and he looks for the red letters. <laughs> but I say that because it feels like such a weighty thing to get to soak in these words of Jesus. And I, I offer this reminder of this telephone or, or tone feature because as we, as we read this passage together, as we look at it, what I want to invite you to do is to notice what the tone of voice sounds like to you. If you could imagine Jesus speaking these words to his friends and to us, what does it sound like to you? And more specifically, what are the emotions that it brings up for you? So like, what is your just initial emotional response uh, to this passage? So I'm gonna read um, John 15, nine through 17. Sorry, Suhail, you just got comfortable. <laughs> Okay, great. And again, as I read this, um, take notice of what it evokes in you. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, 
just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. So again, just taking a moment to notice your initial, initial response, how this, how this sits with you what's sort of the vibe of this moment. And I think I would argue that there are two sort of common responses and they're quite different. One is that it potentially produces some kind of fear or anxiety or that it produces faith, hope and love. And I think the reason for that is because of this language of remaining or abiding. And so I wanna unpack for just a moment what this word brings up for us. I think in the Western Christian tradition, um, this word sort of remaining or abiding in this context, um, it has contributed to sort of an anxious legalism, almost this like you better bear fruit, right? Um, coming back to this if-then language, right? If you keep my commands, the implication is then you will remain in my love. And this is, of course, following the vine and the branches passage. So if you remain in me, you will bear fruit. There's this, um, I think this produces in us sometimes, or at least has maybe in the past, this sort of anxious relationship with this, with this concept of remaining or abiding which is unfortunate because the thing that we're talking about, the context of this is the profound love that Jesus has and is demonstrating, demonstrating God's love to us. So right at the point where one could argue we should be the most relaxed, right? In, in this sort of loving um, embrace of God, right at that point, this message has gotten sort of twisted to where it actually produces in us some anxiety and some anxious legalism. But the word abide here should be connected to the previous chapter in John 14, when Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. My father's house has many rooms or abodes many abodes. In other words, my father's love is a spacious place. 
I love actually how Eugene Peterson's translation of the message speaks to this passage. He says, make yourselves at home in my love instead of the language of remaining or abiding, which again, I think some of us have some baggage with, maybe I'm just confessing my own baggage here, but he says, make yourselves at home in my love. So this if then language is not conditional. It's a sign, right? I'm not trying to get embraced or earn love. I am embraced and I am loved. And so, uh, you know, if you keep my commands, basically what he's saying is if you're remaining, if you're making yourselves at home in my love, you know what's gonna happen? You're gonna keep my commands. <laughs> That's the sign. That's some of the fruit, um, but it's not a condition. It's not a condition. Just this week, I was having a conversation with a client of mine who had about 11 months of sobriety and she relapsed. And we were sitting in this office chatting about this relapse and what had happened and what had caused it. And she kept saying these words like, I really just have been trying to pray more, trying to connect with God, trying to humble myself. You know, I really was disconnecting from God. And so I asked her, you know, yeah, so tell me more about that. Like, what's been your experience of God since your relapse, you know? And she continued on this narrative of, oh, I've been trying to do more, pray more, go to church more, read my Bible more. And it just, there was a moment for me of heartbreak. I could, you know, you could kind of feel that anxious. I'm trying to remain. I'm trying to earn, right? The favor or the love or the attention of God. And so as we just continued to sit there with it, it was like, Lord, how can I communicate to her that she doesn't have to earn an embrace? She is embraced right here, right now. But I also found in her something uh, that is mirrored back in my own life, that it may not be a relapse on drugs or alcohol, but that there are ways in which I have this sort of mentality of how do I get back into this place of earning God's love, no matter how much I've been walking with Jesus and I sort of quote unquote know better, that feature still shows up in my life, this sort of anxious system. And so I wanna say this sort of to all of us, myself included, we all struggle with abiding, with whatever this means, with whatever it means to remain in God, to remain in Jesus, to abide. This is not something that's realized fully now. It's something we learn into, we grow into, and the fruit of it is on its way. Um, we all struggle with this. And so it's kind of with this sort of spirit that I want to highlight a couple of other things that really stand out. Because again, I think if you, if you notice as you heard this passage that it produces in you already just an increase of faith, hope, and love, that's great. And also with no judgment, if you notice that it produces in you some anxiety of a desire to earn something, again, just notice that. Be in conversation with the Lord about that. But I think that one thing that helps us is actually something that Jesus says in this specific passage where um, he talks about joy. He talks about joy. And this stood out to me in a significant way this week. And so I want to hover for a moment about joy because he says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. 
So I want us to consider here too, what is our relationship to joy? <laughs> I was having a, another conversation just this week with a friend who we were chatting about how difficult it can be to share delight, to share our joy with one another and with others. And I think that this is something, this is more of like an anthropological observation, but I think when I, when I look out at the world, particularly our relationship with social media, I think something that happens is that when we sort of put out there in the world, when we share our joy and our delight, how quickly we can be viewed as naive to the world's suffering and pain. And there's a lot of that, right? We can be viewed as sort of blindly privileged um, people are poised to sort of pounce on our joy, um, to kind of give us reasons why we maybe shouldn't feel or proclaim our joy. Uh, I think sometimes we even have this sort of survival guilt with joy, right? Like I, like today, like maybe you're rejoicing because of your role as a mom or because you're celebrating the mom that you have. Um, but there's a hesitancy to really, really celebrate that because we can think of all the women who really suffer and really struggle and, and who for them this day actually highlights a point of pain. Now, listen, I'm not here saying we shouldn't be sensitive to those who are suffering, who struggle. I absolutely think we should. I think I just wanna recognize that I think our joy has become a place of tremendous shame and, um, and it's, you know, Brene Brown calls joy one of the most vulnerable emotions. And I think she's right. She says, when we lose our tolerance for vulnerability, joy becomes foreboding. <laughs> I think that's a powerful statement. And so what is your relationship with joy? And what does it mean that Jesus wants his joy to be in us and that it be complete? Now, Again, I'm not even gonna pretend that I know fully what that means theologically, but what I am gonna guess is that it, what it doesn't look like is hiding it, hiding it, right? I think if we are at home in the love of God, there's going to be a natural joy and overflow that begins to show up. <laughs> so I guess the second question for you to sit with one is to notice your reaction to this passage. And secondly, to notice what is your relationship with joy? And what does it mean that Jesus wants his joy to be in us and to be complete? And the other thing that for me just really stood out with this passage this week that I want um, to highlight is this statement, I no longer call you servants, but friends. I want you to just think for a moment about what are some of your favorite activities with your friends? Maybe even jot them down if you're a note-taking or journaling type, or just sit there and imagine. And maybe there's actually just something really specific in the last couple of weeks or last couple of months of a time that you've had with a friend that was so dear to you. What were you doing? What were you talking about? And can you imagine for a moment doing that activity with Jesus? Mm. 
What does it mean to you that Jesus calls you friend? I no longer call you servants, but friends. And then finally, overall, there's this repeating sort of message of love each other, love each other. Or in other words, expand our friendship, lay down your life for each other. Now, I'm wondering if that sounds burdensome to anyone laying down my life. I think I would like to suggest that when we find ourselves increasingly at home in the love of God, we may also notice a desire rise up in us to say to one another, in my father's house, there are many rooms. Or in other words, my father's love is a spacious place. Or maybe in other words, come join the party where friendship is always on tap. <laughs> And I think that this gets repeated in 1 John, and I just want to highlight really briefly, I think a very nice companion passage to this is 1 John 4. Um, and so if you want to savor this a little bit longer today or this week, I, I would definitely invite you to sit in this other um, passage. I think of John sort of in, in this passage we read together today, that John is sort of remembering the words, some of the last words that Jesus spoke. And then later he's sort of writing some of his own words. And he says, dear friends, let us love one another. Let us love one another. Sound familiar? And he says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And as he continues, he reminds us there is no fear in love. Or fear has to do with punishment. And perfect love drives out fear. So come back a moment to your experience of this passage. Did it evoke any fear or anxiety in you? Did it increase your own sense of love and joy and hope? My desire would be that you would have conversation with God just about these things and that you might find yourself more at home in the love of God this week, that it would feel like home to you. And so I actually just wanna close with the beloved prayer. You can join me in just sort of silently soaking up these, these words. Jesus, you are the beloved. Jesus, I am the beloved. Jesus, we are all the beloved. Amen.